G'day and welcome to the gardening show on Radio Karam. I'm Henry. And I'm Brendan. Join us every fortnight as we chat about everything green and delicious in the world of gardening and local food production. We're a couple of local dads with a real love for digging in the dirt, sustainable living, growing our own food and just giving it a go. We're also two of the hands behind the scenes at Downs Community Farm, a little non-for-profit community garden, not so little, (laughs) and gathering space right next to the Seaford wetlands. In short, this show is all about spreading the word on the joys of home gardening in our local area. Expect some general gardening banter, hot tips for a bumper crop, horticultural deep dives, and a few tunes to get those green thumbs tapping. Indeed. Thank you so much for the introduction. And if we can start off by doing a quick acknowledgement of country. Um, So I'd like to pay my respects and our respects to the traditional owners of the land, the Bunurong and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations, and um, pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and just recognise that the land was never ceded, um, always was and has been Aboriginal land. Thank you, Brennan, and welcome. Welcome back. I know, right? It's been... been (laughs) All since last year, I'm I'm super glad to be back, and I'm so sorry for for um, not being around last fortnight, That's last fine. episode. But you did an absolutely amazing job. I was Thank keenly you. listening in from home. <laughs> How you been? Good, good. It has been a good day. I had the day off work today. So Beautiful. That, that was nice. That's um, nice. Didn't get much time in the garden. It was more just sort of running errands um, around the place. And uh, I'm designing a garden for a few friends of ours around the corner. Cool. So, doing a bit of work for that as well. Yep. Um, they're just uh, they well they've knocked down their old house. They're building a new one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, helping them with that, and um, that's about it for me today. How about you? How exciting! Just the mm. oh, just the thought of starting up a project and being able to, you know, inspire and bring in some new ideas. And it's great that they're on board and they're wanting to convert something in their garden as well. Yeah, and we could probably do a show about this. Um, I've I've done a lot of research on design software. Sort of CAD style, yeah, yeah. Um, software. Uh, I still like doing things by hand and drawing plans by hand, mm-hmm. but just in that initial stage where you're playing around with things, it's really handy to have a program that's easy to use, where you can sort of draw the, you know, draw the the block and put the mm-hmm. house on the block and get all the dimensions perfectly right, and then start to play around and move things around. Yeah, so. yep, yep. Let's, cool. let's save that one for another time once I've tried a few, but I think I've found my favourite. It's It does cost a bit of money, but it's uh, it's pretty good, pretty pretty intuitive and uh, and deep. I'll be keen to keep, keen to hear about mm. it. So last, last week you did a brilliant show, as I said before, and we were talking about growing greens. There was the talks about lettuce and spinach and kale, uh, rainbow chard and mustard, mustard greens. And we also talked about, or you also talked about gardening tools and basically what the essentials are. Yeah. Um, I loved it. Uh, One thing I really liked uh, about what you were talking about last time was uh, making sure that we keep those tools clean. Yeah. Getting the isopropyl alcohol out, giving it a wipe down between Mm. uses, not trying to transfer disease between plants and things like that. That's it. Um, Yep. Love it. Any disagreements or any any additions that you would have Ah, for ideal tools? Mm, I think the snip idea, I love a really good pair of sharp nose snips just to get in and do the fine pruning. Yeah, so and small harvesting time and stuff. And yeah. harvesting. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I get a bit lazy and sometimes I will try and harvest by hand, i.e. just pull 
pull the whole little thing <laughs> of tomatoes and off. I, I guess sometimes that doesn't work out. <laughs> sometimes I probably do a bit more damage to the plant than what I should. Guilty um, as charged, yeah. But, yeah, a good pair of tin snips, good couple of pairs of gloves. So mm. obviously just thinking about it from the perspective of what you're using them for as well. Yeah. So if you're getting into the hard stuff and it's, you know, you're using a handsaw, maybe those leather riggers gloves as opposed to just the cloth gloves. Yeah. Um, that sort of thing. But, yeah, no, a good pair of gloves, good pair of secateurs and snips, happy days. That's it. So, um, well, this week we're going to talk about a few things. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go into just a little bit of general chat and um, I've got an article I'd like to share as well, mm. um, which I thought was pretty interesting. And um, we'll do a section on fruit guilds, which yeah. I love that you put this in here. It's, it's almost like the way I think of it is, you know, we talked about food forests yeah, uh, yep. at the end of the last season. And this is, I think, one of those lenses that you should look at or look through when you are designing a food forest. You can't just shove things in and hope for the best. Mm. I mean, you can, but, but knowing about fruit guilds can really help you build a good fruit forest mm. or something to that effect. Um, so we'll talk a bit about that. And we'll do a spotlight on something I'm not super familiar with, um, tamarillo, tamarillo or tamarillo if you're a in you know South America, um, which is yeah an interesting an interesting little little plant a fruiting a fruiting tree yeah uh, a very interesting fruit itself yeah uh, and interesting uses as well um, but not super conventional mm. Mm. Um, one thing that I did learn about it whilst doing a bit of research on tamarillos was that uh, our friends across the ditch in NZ grow loads and export loads of tamarillo as well. Wow. Which is not something that I knew, but um, no. it's fascinating insight. There you go. More on that later. Um, but don't forget, of course, send through any gardening questions to us on 0493-213-831. That's 0493-213-831. Or you can email us at our show email in between shows, thegardeningshowradio at gmail.com. And I guess we'll kick it off. We've got a question in the email inbox. Um, yeah, do you want to read that one? Sure. There was no name attached to this one. Okay. <laughs> Another so Anon. We'll say thank you very much, Anonymous. Please do continue to send in your questions, queries, even just feedback into us. It would be brilliant and we love hearing about it. So this question is, hi, folks. Thanks for the great tips and knowledge you share each show. Um, quick question from me. What's the best way to get rid of weeds popping up through and between my brick pavers? I've been whippersnipping them, but it rips up my cutting line and they grow back within a week during summer. I don't want to use chemicals or salt. Thanks. Thank you, listener. Um, yes, don't use salt. <laughs> um, you know, I think just to touch on the salt point, because I've heard this one a lot of using very salty water mm. um, and almost, uh, you know, well, killing them that way. Uh, but what you do then is you ruin the soil underneath pretty mm. much forever or for a very, very long time. And it might be an area that is, you know, going to be a patio for as long as you want it to be. Mm. But someone might own that house after you and decide to rip it up or do something different. So I always like to choose things that can be remedied easily or are not permanent. Mm-hmm. Um with regards to damaging soil, of course. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? What are some 
Have you had this? Have you had this issue? I think everyone's had this issue, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, there's been a few times where I've really tried to embrace it and try and make it a part of the feature. Yeah. So sometimes bricks <laughs> with a little bit of green through it or a moss or something looks really cool. I like that. Yeah. But I totally gather that that's not for everybody. Um, I'm facing the same thing very, very soon. So mm-hmm. I really, uh, we're we're trying to put some white pebbles down to make a little pathway along okay. the side of the house. Yeah. And underneath that. Um, there is there are patches of some a few weeds that are, are getting yeah. in there, and I'm going to have to face the same problem. Mm. So I don't want to poison the the soil underneath uh, for a long, long time. Um, but I definitely don't want to be dealing in 12 months or 18 months with just pop up weeds coming through yeah. through the ground. I can't say I've had a huge amount of experience with it. Um, so I've had remedies. a bit. I've had a bit um, purely because. Uh, you know, my day job, mm. I, I help to manage community gardens up in the city for public housing residents. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of what my team does is pathway management mm. and weeds. Um, and we have tried a few things in the past. We tried mowing, um, but that gets very tedious and takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, we have tried, uh, and these are very expensive, but commercial steam weeders. So these essentially are, they look like pressure washers. Um, but very large and they shoot a stream of super ho- superheated steam to sort of cook the weeds. Right, yep. But um, those are expensive and I would say dangerous as well, can be dangerous. Mm. You know, you've got superheated steam running through a wand in between your hands. So we've moved to using uh, spray. So, you know, I know this person said no chemicals, but this is a, an organic uh, spray Um I think it's it's mostly made with acetic acid, mm-hmm. which is like vinegar, on, onion juice, vinegar, mm. um, and it's called Slasher, I believe, and it doesn't get rid of weeds forever. Mm. You'd have to reapply it, sort of, you know, every month or so, but it does in the sun really cook those weeds, and um, you know, then you have to ask the question about acidifying soil as well, and all of that. Um, so potentially an option. I think the ones that are really good um, are either boiling water. Yep. So every time you boil a, a cuppa, all the extra boiling water in your in your uh, in your kettle, just go and just put it on those weeds, especially the big ones, the dandelions that are coming up, mm-hmm. and um, get them good. Like you know, really douse them um, is a way to do it. Or fire. Mm, so I've using, seen this uh, one before. Using a fire wand, yeah, which you can buy at some hardware store i think you can buy them at hardware stores and some um sort of larger um plant shops i'm forgetting the name now nurseries Mm. (laughs) some nurseries (laughs) it's plant shops Uh, (laughs) shops. um and you have to then balance the you know you're using you know you're using fossil fuel basically of some Mm. kind um you know and that's obviously a consideration Um, but that can really cook them and, and deal with the problem really well but I like what you said. Um, you can just choose your path plants. Yeah. Really clean them out properly and then kind of seed them with what you want. Mm. So maybe a Corsican mint, something that's very small, will stay in the cracks, doesn't get too high. Um, could be moss as well if you like that look. I like that look. It's, I think, more just the big weeds that pop up and mm. kind of ruin the look of it that you don't necessarily want. 
in, in this instance, the thing that I'm thinking of, and, and actually just to digress a little bit, the way that I do try at the moment is by hand. <laughs> and that's I mean, not that's always successful. One way to do it. <laughs> you know, especially, and I'll just highlight the difficulty of pulling up a taproot plant when yeah. when it's go- when you can't get to the bottom of the taproot to pull it up. Yeah. Um, can be really challenging. So I'm going to give the boiling water a try um, and feed it back. I'll, yeah. I'll come back in a couple of weeks and we'll see how we go because I've got some prime targets ready to, <laughs> ready to try and get rid of. That's it. Especially those taproot ones. You really have to give them a good go with the mm. boiling water. The last one I would say before we go to our, our first song is if you have the resources, the, the money all the time or both, uh, you can re-mortar your bricks. So for very tight paving, it might be a bit difficult. But if you have like brick paving that has pretty standard, you know, 10 mil sort of gaps all around, uh, you can you know, clean it out as best as you possibly can, use a pressure washer if you can, get everything out of there and then re-mortar them with something that's like a cement and kind of get it flush. Um, and then that way, not leave a gap for those plants to get in. Hmm. Yep. But that's not for everybody. So, yeah, hope that answers your question. A few options. A few options there. Yes. Give the boiling water a try. Um, if you've got a really big space, maybe go for the fire route. Um, if that if that works for you, or or remortar, um, or just kind of accept it, <laughs> send us an email, uh, another message in a couple of weeks, and let you know, and let us know what worked for you. Definitely, that'd be great. Um, great. So, well, let's go to a song. First song. Uh, so this one's by the Jungle Giants, and it's "She's a Riot." Beside me, saying all the things you've never done. There's not much time and less to say. Oh, please, just come away. You could be my lady, and we'll walk the streets for no reason. Maybe just till you see, you won't be so lonely when you're.
IGA is shopping nights. IGA, where the price is right. Seaford North IGA for your groceries and liquor. IGA Express, there's nothing quicker. Beautiful, and we are back. There's nothing better than a good Friday night frothies ad. I have missed them. Uh, welcome back. Welcome back to the gardening show. I'm Brendan. I'm Henry. And we are talking gardening. Um, On this show? Really? Yeah. Garden? Okay. Yeah, just why thought, not? why not? <laughs> <laughs> so we were just having a bit of a chat about those questions and call-ins, but a bit of general stuff. Yeah. What's been happening? What's been happening since the last show? Well, uh, last week, last weekend, this weekend just passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Saturday, you and I took it upon ourselves to... To do a bit of mowing we and sniffing. Did. Yeah, yep. We a had bit. a few good things, days at the Downs <laughs> yeah, recently. That's it. Down at the farm. Um, yeah, for, for people's, um, I guess to catch people up on it, um, you know, the the farm area itself is, I think it's about four acres that we sort of, you know, are able to manage, I guess. Correct, yeah. And, but one acre of it is is uh, is rabbit-proof fenced. Um, and that's, obviously that's our primary growing area. But a good chunk of that uh, does tend to get flooded and um, has never really been activated fully. So it's pretty high weeds, mm. <laughs> really thick mm. kaikuyu and everything else you can imagine. Uh, it's very undulating and bumpy. Um, but one thing that we've been trying to do is to make maintenance of the, the, the rabbit-proof fence easier is to clear a meter on either side of that fence mm. all the way around and, and heavily mulch it. Uh, but that's easier said than done. <laughs> so we got a start on it. Uh, yeah, tell, tell us how it went. <laughs> that was it was really good. It, it was, was a good really workout. Good. <laughs> it's a great workout. So we had the brush cutter with the not not the line trimmer attachment, but an actual bl- brush cutter blade on there. And yeah. that was that was something else. It's a it's a, it's a machine. And <laughs> uh, we had the the lawnmower. And yeah. uh, so you were clearing a bit and sweeping and scything a bit away, and then I was coming around with the lawnmower, and we just swapped over halfway through and tried to do a bit of perimeter. It's good fun. It was tough work, hard on the arms, mm. um, and especially being in the long grass as well, just keeping an eye out for those uh, slithery friends, the snakes. And we did see one at one point. Mm. Saw a brown snake. Um, but they're totally to be expected. And yeah, uh, whenever we're talking about snake safety and it is just about being sensible and smart. It's nothing mm-hmm. to panic about. Um, it's just to take a step back and let the snake do its thing and go yeah. where he needs to go. That's it. Um, but it was brilliant fun and we really achieved a lot down at the Downs on the weekend. It's I really think so, yeah. 
It's been some really good momentum recently, which is great. Mm. Now, uh, you have been growing plums. Plums. You're a plum guy. Well, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I think I've mentioned it a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got the Angelique plum at home. And this one's a little hark back to the family, um, my grandparents and, mm. and them growing Angelique plums, bringing them across from Europe or, or growing a, a variety. And also there's a double graft on this particular plant that I've got out the front, which is a president plum. Mm. And it's also a very similar to the Angelique. It's a dark purpley coloured plum yep. and uh, a, quite a, a sourish um, mm. taste when you pierce through the skin especially. But then the flesh on the inside, as it's maturing, it's uh, a greeny flesh. Yep. And then as it really ripens, that green turns into a yellow. And they are super delicious. They're amazing. So mm. I think maybe any European heritage and, and ancestry, it's a common plum um, through from Europe and, and it's great for cooking. It's great for things like strudels and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so a big fan. I'm, I, I took your advice. I gave it a really good trim at the end of last year. Yeah. And also oh, not the end of last year, probably midway through last year and really stressed it out. And as a result, it it has produced more this year than it ever has. Wow! Which is really brilliant. And I think one of the, the, the there's two parts that I was um, excited about. One is that the Angelique variety came through quite early, mm. and we were already able to get some and, and harvest some, and they've all gone now. But then on the other half of the tree is this massive bunch of of the president plums, which is ready to go. And that's why you graft. Exactly. Right? One of the reasons you graft. Absolutely. So this one tree is taking us through. The whole run of summer from the very start, it's got a very early crop and a very late crop. That's which, great. Which I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled about. Well, um, considering we lost the apricots this year to, to birds, yeah, I was glad to have saved the plums. That's awesome. Um, yeah, big plum fan. And it was a little shout out to, I, I was struggling to remember the name. I think it's Har, Harcourt. Harcourt? Harcourt's a town, isn't it? <laughs> Up near Kyneton or something. Uh, Harcourt Co-op, uh, Organic Co-op Farm. Um, yeah, if, if you're into, you know, seeing different ways that farms can run, this is a, it's a great one, uh, where I can't remember the entire history of it, but I've, I've, I've been there a few times now and it was like a sort of a family farm and it got to the point where it was a bit unmanageable by the family. That's the one, Harcourt Organic Farming Cooperative or co-op. Um, so that they sort of lease out parts of their sort of long-term sort of farming leases, parts of, of that farming property to um, different, you know, especially young farmers that maybe can't afford to get into the market mm. and purchase. Um, so there's uh, there's one woman that has, has like a micro herd of cattle, maybe like 10 to 15 cows. Are they really small? No, they're... <laughs> <laughs> Good one. No, they're massive. <laughs> Absolutely massive. Just full-size cows. Um, yes, full-size cows, just not many of them. <laughs> uh, and makes, you know, milk and yogurt for, for the local community, sort of in a food box type of arrangement, which is really interesting. But one thing they have there is um, an orchard and they do a sort of, you know, pick your own, similar to what you see at most berry farms really, pick your own. Uh, and they had the Angelique plums. Um, and me, my partner and my daughter went there, oh, it must have been maybe a month ago or something, I think. And I think it was $6 a kilo for Angelique plums. You just had to get them yourself. So you just walk down there with the big boxes and we had a great time. We spent an hour just, you know, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me kind of thing. Uh, my daughter was obsessed with it. And, yeah, we left with probably 
I could say like eight kilos or something of these things. So, you know, if you're up, if you're up that way, um, you know, have a look on their on their social media on their website, and if they're still doing that, pick your own. I cannot recommend it enough. I'd be pretty happy with fifty dollars worth of plums, just quietly. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. In fact, that that, that it, it really reminds me. It takes me back to um, growing up. And when I was really little and going over to the grandparents' houses, mm. they would harvest so many that there would be a, a box or they'd go to the market and they'd, <laughs> see, they'd see full boxes of mangoes, full boxes of apples. No, we won't buy just a, a bag for ourselves. We've got cousins and family and everything like that. We'll buy a full case and when somebody comes over, they can take a half a case. That's, hey, that's the dream. That's the dream. That's such a European thing too. Please take. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> take 15 kilos of bananas or whatever. What yeah. have we got? So into, one thing that we were just mentioning with the berries. Uh, mm. Oh, did we get into the – no, not berries yet. Um, Bramble Farm, pick your own. That's, oh, yeah. That's a local one. That's down Mornington Way. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know about that. In fact, I believe it is in Langmoran, so nice and close. Oh, very close. Um, and we've been there before and you can pick strawberries and, and – uh, sorry, not strawberries, I believe strawberries, but raspberries is a big one um, for Bramble Farm. That's awesome. Well, there mm. you go. Nice and close. What else? Raspberries and strawberries. Yeah, I put this on down here because we've, they've been really good this year. Yeah, are you um, saying at your place or no? At well, the farm? I was thinking of the farm. Yeah, uh, but the few spots that I have gone through to and have um, picked or tasted some raspberries and strawberries this mm. year have been really delicious. Uh, and I just wanted to put a huge shout out to those who do grow their own strawberries. How much better than from the supermarket? No, oh, it's no comparison. No comparison on taste. No comparison. I find it in the supermarket. It's going to become very bland, lose its flavour. Something that it's been sun ripened and you pick it straight away and eat it mm. straight away. Oh, it's the best. I think especially, I don't know, maybe I've just never grown the right varieties, but some of the ones that you get in the supermarket are monstrously large. Mm. And it's like, you know, they're not going to taste good. It's just too much water in them. Mm. You know, as you get those little ones from home um, or less large and yeah, the flavors just can't compare it at all. Uh, yeah, big Home, fan. Homegrown raspberries, homegrown strawberries this year. It's been great. Mm. The raspberries at the farm have been wonderful. Mm. I will say I, I always get there like 10 minutes too late and then I just see the kids all running off laughing with red <laughs> around their mouths and, I, and I'm stuck on my hands and knees trying to get to the really difficult parts, trying to find one little, <laughs> one little tiny one. Getting scratched and scraped. Uh, but it's worth it because that one little tiny one I always find is just, yeah, again, same thing, raspberries grown uh, at home or at a local community garden. Mm. Just you haven't tasted raspberries till you've, till you've had that kind. Yeah. Yeah. And that is what we are all about, promote that local food production. That's it. What else happened recently? Well, can I make a mention of a, a certain little drop-in and barbecue that we had? Yeah, sure. One thing I wanted to, uh, to <laughs> highlight was checking out other people's gardens, getting some inspiration from other people's gardens. And I was fortunate enough to check out your garden, Henry. And That's right. <laughs> I want to say I'm very impressed. Oh, thank you. It was very, very cool. Um, doing a lot. You could be harsh. Doing a lot with a, a bit of space. Yeah. Um, so it's not oodles of space, but what you're, you're maximising in that mm. space. Um, I think the way that you mentioned it last episode as well, but it's about when I had a look at the beds and I saw everything mixed in there, it was competing, whatever was going to win was going to win. Yeah. Um, it was 
thriving. And as a result, you had a really good mixture of stuff that was like filling up the beds. Yeah. So, yeah, loved it. I loved that you had wood chips on the ground uh, for the pathways. Um, I liked those big grow bags and little bits of things set up. Nice. You've repurposed things. So, well done. I I I like going to the tip shop. What can I tell you? (laughs) That's it. Uh, Well, yeah, hopefully in a future show, I could say the same about your garden. Yep, that's the goal. Um, Yeah, so I I guess a reminder, I spoke about it last week. Um, There's uh, Open Gardens Victoria. The wonderful folk there have organized three open days at local farms uh, on Sunday the 4th of Feb, so this coming Sunday. Mm -hmm. Um, The Haven Butter Buttonshaw Farm and the Aussie Veggie Path. So details on the Open Gardens Victoria website um, yep. for where those are. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, and the times and everything. So I think they're all you know, in a, a similar space. Okay, cool. Because they're doing the promotion for all three of those farms. I think it's it's probably a, <coughs> you can do me. them all in a day pretty yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Uh, and lastly, we had an, a mural launch. So we did the emceeing for our eco mural launch mm. down at uh, the wetlands which is most excellent. We had a wonderful turnout of people. 60-something people mm-hmm. showed up. Yeah. We had our artist, Jimmy Deviant, um, who has done the brilliant, brilliant mural along the back of the uh, farmhouse shed. And we're talking, what, five by 20 metres, thereabouts? Thereabouts, yeah. It's a large Very piece. large. Um, it, it astounds me that you can sort of think in that size, mm. you know, and get mm. something that looks really... Amazing. Looks like a photograph from, from far away, you know. And Jimmy's got some work in uh, around Frankston. Mm. Steve has, was also there and he was um, the guide who does the speaking tours for um, the street art tours in Frankston. Yes. He was super knowledgeable. Uh, both of them really wonderful people. And also we had um, the, the team from Feswe, yes. uh, which the acronym is the Friends of the... Friends of the Edithvale Seaford... Wetlands. Um, the Feswick group were there and Alan did a really, really good speech and, and uh, mm. um, a quick a quick talk about the different birds that have been highlighted on the mural yep. um, and how they relate to the area and their presence and meaning. It was a great day, really yeah. good turnout. So um, thanks for everybody who rocked up. Absolutely, yeah. It was, it was really lovely and it's always nice to see a lot of new people at the farm. Mm. And, you know, we did a bit of a... I took a few people on tours afterwards around the around the garden, and uh, there was a lot of interest. and And of course, a lot of people saying, "I had no idea. I live a kilometre away. Yep. How did I not know about this place? You know, I'll definitely be back." So uh, that's really good. A little um, gem, little hidden gem. gem, little hidden gem. And I think people are going to ride past now because it's it's facing a bike path. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to really make people stop and go, "Whoa!" You know, I've already seen even on Saturday uh, people just on their bike stopping and taking photos and, you know, doing all that. So really lovely addition to the, I guess, the street art scene in, in our area. And a shout out to the street art scene in Frankston. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing walking through the laneways and checking out some of the large sides of buildings, which, which are really beautiful pieces, some of the mm. skeletons and different wildlife and all, yeah. all sorts of stuff. It's great. Melbourne CBD, we're coming for you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Awesome. Well, um, the only other little thing I want to talk about before we get into our next sort of section is uh, an article that I I always so uh, the ABC News website has a has a gardening section specifically, which makes sense because of you know, gardening Australia and stuff. 
but I found a really, really cool little article um, sort of relating to the, the Black Summer bushfires um, a few years back, so 2019, 2020. And the article, um, which was posted uh, on the 3rd of January this year, so pretty recent by uh, Millicent Spencer, um, it was East Gippsland, East Gippsland Gardeners Planting Firewise Species to Help Protect Homes from Bushfires. So it's a really cool way to, I guess, use plants um, as a way to, you know, make your home more resilient in the face of natural disasters. Um, so a few points. In East, in East Gippsland, uh, Victorians are proactively addressing bushfire threats by promoting firewise gardening practices. So the locals are encouraged to embrace native low flammability plants um, to create protective belts around their homes as well as community spaces, which I think is really important because mm. we know Pfizer, you know, this year we've been quite lucky. It's not been anywhere near as bad, but it's almost certain that it's going to happen again. Mm. So being proactive, I think, is really important. Um, so in the town of... Nungurna. Nungurna, thank you. <laughs> I didn't want to ruin that one. Um, school students and the local Landcare Network, shout out to Landcare, um, have joined forces to plant firewise species, including things like seaberry saltbush and the Gippsland grey box, which are indigenous to that area. Um, those plants have features like bark that hugs the tree, because we know there's obviously stringy barks and other species of eucalyptus that shed their bark, mm. and that's obviously incredibly flammable. So those ones um, that hug the tree are, are more resilient. And uh, they sort of slow down the spread of bushfire, which gives residents, you know, crucial time to get away where every sort of second counts. Um, the coordinator of this initiative, Catherine Van Wilgenberg, hopes to inspire more people to establish firewise gardens, emphasizing that plant choices may vary by region. And that's important mm. because there's a difference between native, endemic, indigenous. They all, you know, relate to Australia, but sort of hone in to that to that particular very area. area that you're mm-hmm. in. Um, and I think nobody knows more about this than, of course, local Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who you know, have such a deep knowledge of these sorts of plants. And as we know, we're masters of, of you know, using fire to, to keep land healthy. So really, really amazing that this is being done. Um, also, of course, you know, the additional benefit of using very local species is uh, contributes to biodiversity preservation. Um, you know, local animals that obviously may may home in those plants um, or eat those plants. Um, it's increasing, I guess, their area, the the biodynamic nature of their area. I don't know how to put that, yep. <laughs> but um, you know. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much it on that one. Um, Heather Oak, a longtime resident who experienced major bushfires, advocates for understanding and utilizing local vegetation for enhanced protection. A um, few other points in Orbust. Mm-hmm. Is that how you pronounce that? Orbust, yeah. Uh, Orbust, thank you. I'm not Victorian. Apologies. That's so good. <laughs> the Far East Gippsland Landcare Land Network collaborates with uh, uh, Muji um, Aboriginal Nursery to propagate native seeds uh, lost in the summer, black summer fires. So there's another really good, you mm-hmm. know, um, sort of community working with, with a local Aboriginal group to, um, to preserve these species and get them out there. Uh, native seed bank being established to create a firewise belt, 
providing resistance against potential catastrophic fires and preserving native plant species, as we said. Um, and the Country Fire Authority, the CFA, is incorporating FireWise plant recommendations into its guidance for property preparation. So mm-hmm. emphasizing the right plant in the right location. So, of course, the CFA, um, amazing work that they do and have continued to do, and especially, you know, the incredibly hard work they do in really bad bushfires. Um, it's great to see them jumping on board and... Um, you know, it's kind of coming from all angles, really, in the community, getting this started. It does. This sounds really. This does sound really positive. One from a community standpoint. Mm. Um, one from, I think, just engaging and, and utilizing natural tools at our disposal as well, and integrating that into protecting the environment. We do know that bushfires are a natural part of the the life cycle as mm. well in Australia. Um, uh, however, we also share that space, and we do love to be out in that space. So, yeah. I, Anything that's that's proactive, that's um, keeping people conscious, always have a plan in those sorts of areas. Mm. We're quite fortunate that we don't have to deal with that in, in inner city and inner suburbs. Um, but definitely that is reality for a lot of people who are living on land. Absolutely. So, yeah, as usual, uh, plants are the solution plants to are the solution. every problem <laughs> that exists. This is great. <laughs> but yeah, nice little article there. Um, yeah, do check out, you know, um, so if just Google, you know, gardening news, there's actually a lot of interesting stuff that pops up there. Um, yeah, there's another yeah. article, I won't go into it, but it was uh, from late last year. It was um, uh, a person in Canberra. This is the classic, oh, I wish I'd thought of that idea, has set up, you know how you have like pet hotels when you go away? So this person has set up a houseplant hotel. <laughs> so if you're going away, <laughs> you take your... Your Zanzibar gem or your your philodendron or whatever, and you drop it off at her place, and uh, they'll just look after they'll it. They'll just look after it for you uh, until you get back. I don't know what happens if it dies. If there's some kind of you know, we've got a bit of a clause uh, in the contract, uh, yeah. but uh, plants oh. are plants. But you know, I feel like this. It seemed like this person was doing very well. It's a great idea. <laughs> it was quite successful, and I'm like, oh. Maybe. Super creative. Maybe that's an idea. Although I'm not good with indoor plants really. I like the idea of actually rocking up with a plant in hand and saying, okay, we need four to six hours of (laughs) indirect sunlight per day and a nutrient mix of (laughs) At least two hours of classical music. (laughs) Uh, There you go. That's Um, great. Yeah, Thanks awesome. Thanks for sharing the article. My pleasure. There was another one that popped up as well, and I'm not too sure if you happened to see it. Uh, I won't go into it terribly much, mm. but it was actually talking about the CO2 output and comparison of farmed vegetables versus... I've seen this one doing the rounds. It has been doing the rounds. <laughs> uh, and it was very interesting. And, and really just to point out that um, when in, in some of the instances, the, the data was being taken from bought costs of new... Um, and what that was taking into consideration is really the production costs and the CO2 costs going Mm. into your um, beds or corrugated iron or different bits and pieces of stuff that you're going to use to create your garden to to then increase the cost of your per-plant veggies. However, we are absolutely advocates for recycling, reusing, uh, repurposing, um, open pollination, grow your own seeds from year to year. So there was a part of it that I was looking at and I didn't quite agree with all of it. But I'm going um, to call BS on this on this study for a few reasons. One, um, okay, you can count every little thing that goes into setting up a home garden, but you don't have to garden that way. Mm-hmm. You can garden in a 
basically you buy a packet of seeds and you shove them in the ground that you have mm-hmm. and you can grow food that way. So I think perhaps they were cherry picking and taking the most intensive, fancy, well-produced products possible um, to, to figure out that data. Also, there's many different sizes. You could grow lettuce on your balcony mm. in a recycled pot. You might have an acre garden. Um, so it's scale-wise, I don't know. I don't feel like there's there's been much into that. Mm. And was the same amount of scrutiny put onto industrial farming? So, you know, think of all the machinery and tractors, the steel used to make those machines, the fuel to fuel those machines, the rubber in the tractor tires, every little bit. Were they... Was it was it was, was it, it one for one compare analysis? This sounds maybe like it was oh I don't know a study that was funded by the agricultural industry <laughs> or by supermarkets maybe I don't know I call I call BS I think it has been doing the rounds yeah it's it's I don't know I don't know that's one of those ones where I think who who would have incentive to tell you that it's bad to the environment to grow your own food. Come on. I can't say that I'm fully behind it. I'm yeah. going to say keep on growing our own food. <laughs> yeah. And look, and all the other benefits, the health benefits, the you know, physical and mental health benefits, you know, and that takes pressure off of the health system and all these, and you know, all these other roll-on effects, mm-hmm. um, you know, building community, getting to know your neighbours, all these other things that can come from gardening. I don't think it's as simple as saying, you know, well, you put a corrugated iron... Uh, bed in your garden and therefore you are contributing to climate change. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's always worth having a read and I having a read so. with a bit of perspective. That, absolutely. <laughs> um, but anyway. Shall we go on to another song? Let's go on to another song, something a bit more sunny. Yep. <laughs> uh, this one is Bag Raiders, Sunlight.
Hi, I'm Disco D from London, England, and whenever I'm in Australia, and in fact, even when I'm not online, I'll listen to Radio Caram. Welcome back to The Gardening Show. I'm Henry. I am Brendan. And that was... Who was that? Bag Raiders. Sunlight. Great song. Hope everyone started dancing. We've had a great <laughs> couple of days of sun actually recently. We have. So I wanted to shout out for the weekend um, and what was it? Sunday afternoon, mm. sunshine, liked it. It was awesome. So let's talk fruit guilds. Fruit guilds. I'll, yes. Kick us off. Fruit guild. So what is a fruit guild and or what is a tree fruit guild uh, specifically? Uh, and tree guilds, as you alluded to before, it refers to essentially plants, particularly trees that collaborate with um, other plants in a symbiotic nature. Mm. So they are really about benefiting each other for overall growth, overall well-being. And there's actually a number of reasons. Uh, so uh, uh, different ideas about how this symbiosis works, which I'd love to for us to go into with a little bit of discussion today. Yeah, for sure. It's also worth mentioning, I mean, this is one of those, like permaculture, I think it's very obvious when you think about it even mm. a little bit because forests don't look like orchards. No. Traditional orchards. Forests look like fruit guilds or tree guilds, right? Lots of different plants growing together and plants aren't dumb. I mean, <laughs> they're not smart either, but, you know, they're not going to grow or won't be able to grow somewhere where it's not beneficial for them. So they tend to sort of do well when they're in certain groups together. Mm-hmm. I think this is really what this is about. Yeah. So the first point that I guess we can discuss here is that we get a complementary nutrient uptake. Mm. So we're talking about nutrients here for a moment. And an example I'd like to put forward is that in a guild, nitrogen-fixing plants like legumes um, can partner with fruit trees. So the legumes are bringing up the atmospheric nitrogen into a form that is therefore easily absorbed by the tree itself. Yep. And this gives us essentially what we call it's an overall nutrient availability for the entire guild. Um, and essentially this is going to also promote healthier and robust growth. Yeah, and I mean, think about it, you know, especially certain legumes like to climb. Mm-hmm. So being near a tree gives them access to climb and, uh, you know, better access to light and things. But trees also shed leaves and leaves are natural mulch, which legumes really like being quite shallow rooted. Mm. So, yeah, they really kind of one 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 hand, was it? <laughs> one hand scratches the other. No, I don't know. <laughs> 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 I'm just trying to work it out. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Let's exactly. just go with that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that's uh, particularly legumes, which are obviously very well known for, for – um, for, for putting nitro, taking nitrogen out of the air and putting it into the soil. And a fun little aside is how they actually do that. So they create things called nodules. Mm-hmm. So if you dig up your broad bean or whatever, um, once it's pretty well established, you will notice that there's lots of little white balls and bumps, bumps yeah. um, on, on their roots and around their roots. And those actually contain, well, nitrogen in the form of like nitrogen salts or something, um, which are very bioavailable to other plants, Mm. um, which is also why chopping and dropping um, and just leaving your legume roots in the ground when they're done um, and then plant things that like a lot of nitrogen, like leafy greens right in that spot is really beneficial. But now I'm getting to more companion (laughs) other topics aside, but... Yeah, obviously no. this works with trees, yeah. Absolutely, and and it really is. It is 
talking about companion planting in the same scope. Mm. So we're really taking this permaculture principle through to a different lens, as you said earlier. Yeah. Um, we spoke a little while ago when we spoke about food forests and nursery trees and canopy trees. Yeah. And so essentially this is another little component to a fruit or a tree guild that can be really beneficial here is the idea of canopy layer. Uh, canopy layering and it's also sunlight optimization. Yeah. So how those plants are getting sunlight at different levels. Um, we've got an example in in one instance, like an oak tree or a walnut tree, and um, it can actually be planted alongside of other shorter fruit-bearing trees, and then the taller trees provide shade and helping to control the temperature for the moist and moisture levels. Um, and, and then those, perhaps if those smaller fruit trees were getting blasted by direct sunlight, they actually wouldn't do too well. So That's it. I mean, a lot of people assume that, you know, oh, if I have a, an apple or, you know, or a plum or something, that it needs to be in the biggest, you know, open sunny spot of the garden. Um, that's not necessarily true um, because if you think of how they grow in forests, they are not the tallest trees in the forest. There are much taller trees like oaks, for example, um, that, you know, provide them with light but more dappled light, um, you know, that sort of semi-shade, which is actually really good for those plants to, you know, retain moisture in their roots and, um, you know, produce big juicy fruit. Now, we, we spoke about one also when we were talking about edges in our permaculture principle mm. and, you know, we were looking at the forest and the and the field and right yep. on the edge being that little gateway and pathway of joining different ecosystems yep. together. And uh, one of the components that came up in this as well from the fruit tree is the idea of pest control and diversity. Mm. So we were talking on those edges is where we had a great presence of diversity and the benefits of diversity as well. Yeah. So another little highlight on the guild idea is that you've got things like potentially aromatic herbs, basil, chives, also alongside susceptible trees. So something that can deter pests um, can be a really great benefit. Hmm, what else? Well, root interaction, yes. really important. Um, so you have some plants, so I think this is like the number one permaculture plant this is if you have a permaculture garden you need to have some of this uh, this is what david holmgren would say but comfrey 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 um, amazing multi-uses both you know medicinal and, and in terms of plants um, but it's very very deep rooted so it's great to plant um, into plant with shallow rooted fruit trees um, and shallow rooted trees in general because comfrey is kind of like uh like i don't know like a dwarf in lord of the rings like it's a miner right digs down deep and it pulls riches up mm. sorry i had to throw in a lord, lord of the rings reference there that's spectacular I, i've been listening to the audiobook um so yeah basically taking nutrients from deeper soil layers and bringing them up so that they are more available um, because you know, obviously roots don't just you know, exist in a vacuum, mm -hmm. right? They're, for plants, they're, they're all kind of intertangled and, you know, touching each other. And then you've got like the mycelium network as well, connecting everything. So really good to use those deep-rooted, um, big taproot crops near certain trees um, to sort of, yeah, provide them with more of what they're looking for. And it also helps in that respect of cycling nutrients through the mm, soil. Definitely. So allowing the soil to, to really cycle nutrients up and down. What else? Well, 
water conservation and distribution is a big one. So, you know, plants with different water requirements, such as drought-tolerant or moisture-loving species, you can strategically place in a guild. Um, So why would you do this? It allows for more efficient water use. Plants with higher water needs can benefit from the moisture retained by those with lower water requirements. So it's very hard to, you know, dedicate one part of your garden to be dry and one part to be wet and moist, um, particularly when it's summertime, you know, and weather can be a bit all over the place. Mm. So being clever with how you plant those things together, you can sort of even it out in a way. (laughs) That's sort of how I see it. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I was um, from a from a, a water conservation point and distribution. I think it, just letting them do their thing. Mm. Um, one of the things in strategic placing in the guild, I was having a look at as well, is you, you might have a particular plant that is aged. So mm. the idea of rotating new plants through, but then strategically placing them on particular edges. So if there's an existing plant that has only got maybe five years left. Um, if that's casting shade onto allowing a new species to grow into uh, that space. Yeah. So, and then also looking at where on that tree the sunlight is getting to or being shaded from to then choose the species as well. So it can be huge amounts of interaction and different reasons why you might pick and place certain different things in fruit tree guilds, um, which I can't have found really fascinating. You have to think as well. I mean, a large tree c- creates... Um, sort of microclimates all around it. So one side, the, the north side, might still get a lot of light coming through. Um, the south side of the tree might not get much light at all, exactly. depending on how big this tree is. I'm thinking of my, my in-laws have the most monstrously large oak tree I've ever seen in a backyard. Mm. Like it's, it must be, oh, I don't know, eight metres around the trunk, the circumference, just mm smack bang in the middle of their garden it's a huge thing um so the south side of that very shaded all the time right the north side still gets a lot of light penetrating through so yeah you can think about it in that way as well of almost like it's a wall Hmm. and there's you know different sides of it can can handle different plants and interplant for for different reasons um there's also the you know if you have a you know if you have an area that's prone to flooding i think Trees are a really good way to soak up a lot of that water and therefore allow you to plant species under them that don't like wet feet as much um, because they sort of they pull it away from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, often in, in larger farms as well and larger open spaces, mm. these tree guilds can be a really great pit for water management and water yeah. retention, um, but also giving a place for natural stuff to live. Yeah. Plants and animals and what have you, uh, or oh, sorry, animals and different different uh, insects and and stuff, which is good. Uh, it's important. Else? Have we got any particular examples? I was thinking, have we got examples for our existing fruit trees, very common fruit trees, of some of these companion relationships? Hmm, you put me on the spot there a little bit. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, let, let's go into a few of them. Apples. Apples. Everyone yes. loves a good crunchy apple. So some of the companion plants, um, chives and you know, other alliums, I guess, sort of the, the onion, onion family. family. Um, that helps deter pests like aphids. 
And of course, um, aphids love an apple, <laughs> love an apple tree. So improves disease resistance as well. Uh, dill is another good one. Um, we know dill has this beautiful umble, umble, was that it? Umble mm-hmm. flowers. Um, so attracts lots of beneficial insects and pollinators, um, which of course, apples um, already can be a bit tricky with pollination. You need a couple mm. um, or you need to have at least a neighbor that has an apple. Um, so good to bring in as many pollinators as possible. And of course, clover. Um, which is a legume, um, so acts as a ground cover, suppresses weeds, and fixes nitrogen, as we were talking about. Have you noticed any alliums at the moment, any of your spring onions or chives that are covered in tiny little black bugs right now? No, I don't have any alliums in the garden currently. Mm, so we've got <laughs> some perennial garlic Okay. Um, and that's definitely one thing I've noticed is that the, that those guys at right now um, where it's starting to flower, the, the little tiny little black bugs and they kind of look like aphids are definitely jumping on them. Yeah, right. Um, and, and that's being used as a sacrificial plant at the moment. Okay. So yeah. potentially in this companion example, that's exactly what we're talking about, drawing away the aphids from the apples and letting, letting them go down to the onions and alliums instead. Yeah, beautiful. Some other ones. So, um, well, you, you can't talk about fruit trees without talking about stone fruit. Stone fruit. <laughs> All yep, the stone yep. fruits. So, you know, cherries, peaches, plums. Um, so with cherries, uh, good companion plants. So comfrey. You mentioned we it said, before. Yeah, yeah. Deep-rooted, mines nutrients, makes them available to cherry trees. Nasturtium, which is one of my, probably my number one companion slash sacrificial slash everything else it does so um, well it's it's just the most amazing thing it looks great yep comes back every year great or, cover lovely flowers yeah super vigorous edible if you're into that um but yeah it deters pests uh, attracts predatory insects and um you know certain certain pests are actually attracted to it and can be used very successfully as um as a sacrificial crop mm-hmm. in particular your what are they called the cabbage moth, mm. um, not that cabbage moth really affects fruit trees that much, but an additional benefit. And another one, of course, which if you've ever planted it once, um, you know it will just pop up forever, is, mm-hmm. is another great uh, plant, borage. Um, attracts pollinators. Um, bees love borage and does help to improve overall soil health. Both with borage and comfrey, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad that it's gotten into the garden and it's there to yeah. self-seed. Uh, it's easy to pull up and replant as you need to as well. If you don't need to, you can just, <laughs> just pull it out just or chop it, down, yeah. chop it down, anything you like. It's a good one to have to regrow. Definitely. What other trees? Um, so peach trees. Let's go peaches. Uh, again, something that we've spoken about a few times from a, from a companion planting point of view is marigold. Oh, another great one. So um, marigolds repel nematodes and they also add some really, really lovely colour into the garden. Hmm. Um, clover, as you mentioned, living mulch, uh, and also conserves soil moisture. Um, and then basil, basil deters pests. It has a allelopathic uh, effects on certain weeds. Now, what does allelopathic mean? You know what? That is a stumped me word. Why don't I'm you gonna... Google that one and I'll talk about plum trees? <laughs> Our favorite. Uh, so, plum trees, of course. If you want your big, juicy plums, here's some great companion plants. Yarrow, which is um, another umble and related to carrot and parsley, all part of that same family, um, attracts beneficial insects and improves the soil structure. Again, big taproot as well, which can help to really loosen soil. 
and make give trees more space to spread their roots out more easily. Daffodils as well. Um, we haven't talked much about bulbs. Maybe we'll do a show on bulbs mm. soon, but daffodils um, deter pests and provide early spring color as well, so very beautiful. And oregano, uh, well known as well for repairing, uh, repelling pests and has antimicrobial properties so it can help to sort of protect your trees from that as well. Well, how about this for a def- definition? Allelopathy is a biological phenomenon by which an organism produces one or more biochemicals that influence the germination, growth, survival, and reproduction of other organisms. Oh, wow. So it's it's a contraceptive. It's a weed contraceptive. In some ways, it's, <laughs> it's basically saying yes. Basil there you go. <laughs> is going to potentially send off a biochemical that will dis, maybe not allow other plants to grow so well. Wow. So... Plant basil, not don't plant it everywhere. But, um, anyway, you've got a big pest problem, uh, weed problem. Maybe, maybe chuck some basil in there. So you were talking yarrow, daffodils, oregano. Mm. What about citrus trees? So citrus. Uh, mm. Now, this sort of makes sense when you think of citrus. I mean, even though citrus originally comes from from Asia, um, it is obviously a very Mediterranean kind of Mediterranean sort of um, thing, and. Uh, what goes well with it are other sort of Mediterranean type herbs. So rosemary, mm-hmm. which again, we're, we're touching on all my favorite plants here today. Um, rosemary acts as a pest repellent and provides aromatic oils as well. Additional benefit. Lavender, obviously well known for attracting pollinators and also helps to repel pests. And uh, like with a lot of these, nitrogen fixing legumes. So clover or vetch or something like that can enhance soil fertility. And particularly with citrus being uh, quite quite shallow rooted and quite hungry, um, a source of nitrogen sort of all year round through something like clover can help to keep those citrus trees fed. Because we know of all of our fruit trees, they're definitely the ones we need to be fertilizing or you know improving the soil of most. You know, usually twice a year at least, mm. and probably every two weeks in the in the in the harvest season. Love it. I'm going to jump the next one and go straight to apricots. Mm. It's another one of my fan favorites. And interestingly, this one is uh, in terms of companion plants, we've got here um, beneficial insects, catnip. There you go. For bringing, in cat, uh, for bringing in and attracting beneficial insects and obviously <laughs> repelling pests. Uh, calendula. Is it another one for pollinators and lovely, lovely flowers? And then uh, another companion plant for apricots is buckwheat, which Ooh. can act as a cover crop and also attracts beneficial insects. There you go. Catnip's a funny one. I, I always say catnip um, at the nursery and well, I don't have a cat, so I, I never felt the need to get it, but I think it's a really pretty plant. Mm. Um, but I, I thought maybe I'll get some, but I also don't want my my backyard to become a haven, sort of a, an opium den of sorts for, uh, for local cats. <laughs> so well, I've just not planted it in the back. <laughs> I've, I've, got, I've got the other problem at the moment. So that there is a local cat that comes along to the front garden and right. then finds a nice spot in the, in the garden bed, the raised bed, and likes to do drop its its stuff there do its business and um what i notice is i walk back in and usually the the um soil is quite flat and if there's a bit of a freshly unturned soil (laughs) (laughs) so that is going to be something i'm going to need to learn is is what can i 
safely detract a cat from? Um, how can I uh, um, try to avoid a cat coming into the garden bed to do its business? You could you could do some gorilla gardening and just plant a bunch of catnip mm. at a park, ah, local yeah. park. <laughs> just a couple of meters away. <laughs> I don't know if that's legal or not, so don't quote me on that, but do a bit of gorilla gardening, get some catnip around the place and just try and force them away that way. If, any, if anybody has some <laughs> suggestions or advice, I'm keen to hear, but I'll be doing some research on it over Cat this control. next, next couple one. of two weeks. Definitely. Um, All right. Do you want to jump into another song? Let's jump into a song before we get into Tamarillos. So this one is uh, a lovely Aussie gentleman, one half of Angus and Julia Stone, uh, Dope Lemon with Give Me Honey.
Hello, my name is Océane. I come from Martinia and you are listening to Radio Carom. <laughs> Welcome back to The Gardening Show on Radio Carom. And that was Dope Lemon with Give Me Honey. Give Me Honey. That's what the bees say. <laughs> <laughs> no, they make honey. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about tamarillos or tamarillos. Mm. Um, you've probably seen them before. Mm-hmm. Listeners, you've probably seen photos of them, um, but you might not. Probably most people haven't tried them before. It is a little bit of a different fruit, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit um, not quite as common as your as your apples and oranges and apricots, mm-hmm. like we were just talking about. Um, but tamarillo. So why are we talking about tamarillo plant? Is actually a bit bit selfish. I've been looking for a nursery <laughs> tree. I've been looking for a tree that I want to put into a garden bed. So I've got one garden bed. It's 2.4 by 1.6. It's pretty standard sort yep. of dimensions. And I was thinking this particular garden bed does get – it's very direct sunlight. Yeah. Um, so it's getting hit with sunlight pretty much constantly. Um, I, I try to mulch it quite heavily. It still dries out quite a lot with the soil. And what I wanted to incorporate here is the idea of a fruit tree guild and thinking about a, a particular plant and being that there was a size, there's a space requirement that I'm looking at. I don't want mm. a huge tree. I'm not looking for something that's going to jump up to four metres tall. Um, I'd love to, be, to have something that is still a fruiting tree yeah. uh, and is also one that um, can have other plants around it inside of a small, smallish garden bed. Good choice. Yeah. So I thought tamarillo. Have you had them before? Have you eaten them? I have, yes. Yeah. They're yeah. quite, I wouldn't say super wacky out there flavour. No, no. But it very, you know, if, if you like most so, things, what would you compare it to? So I've kind of got like a, this this idea in my mind. It's got a bit of passion fruit in there. It's got a bit of tomato in there. Obviously, with the yeah. the the plant itself, um, it does have that tomato sort of look, and mm. and with the seeds on the inside, um, not a little bit sweet, a little bit apricotish as well. So yeah, I'd say it's pretty of accurate. A, of a mixture of different fruits in there. It's tasty. It's definitely tasty. Mm. One of those ones that I feel I really like fruit that you can sort of use both for sweets and for savouries. Correct. And it definitely fits that sort of category for me, which I think is really nice. Um, but, yeah, a little bit of some fun facts about it. So um, the tamarillo or tamarillo, I'll say tamarillo because I'm Spanish yeah, heritage. I can't it's help great. it. It's a small tree or shrub uh, in the flowering plant family Solanaceae, so the nightshade family. And as we know, that means it's, you know, related to tomatoes, eggplants, capsicums, peppers. Hmm. Um, distantly. Tomatillos as well, you know, um, or distantly, of course. Distantly related. Um, but maybe there's a potential of using it as a fruit stock. You can sometimes fruit stock different ones. I, it's one of those things. So the family Solanaceae, the scientific name is Solanum batasium. Mm-hmm. Um I love that you've put the kingdom here, plantae. It is a plant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So often referred to as the tree tomato um, because of that sort of distant relationship um, or that family relationship. And I think the the look as well. Definitely the look too. Um, Tamarillo or tamarillo is derived from a combination of um, tamarillo in Maori. Mm. Um, And you mentioned before, there's a popular crop in in New Zealand. Um, 
and uh, tomate in Spanish, tomato, which is tomato in Spanish, um, native to South America, like a lot of these solanaceous crops are, um, particularly the Andes region. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Andes, the Andes region can be very hot, very dry. So I think it can definitely take a fair bit of sun, as you've as you sort of mentioned. Mm. What I wanted to mention about the tamarillos is the really cool colour. So yes. when, they're, <laughs> when they're ripening and you've got this like egg-shaped fruit, I'm going to say it's not quite the same size as mm, like a peach or a pear. It's going to be about half the size of that potentially. Yeah. A little bit of an egg-shaped fruit as it's ripening green and then as it then ripens further, it, you've got these really vibrant, rich colours of yellows, oranges, reds. Um, and also for the flesh, so black seeds mm. um, and really colourful and vibrant flesh on the inside of the fruit. A uh, little bit of a different flavour profile. And range, looking at this report, we were just having a look and it says that we've got some sweet and tangy and it is versatile for culinary purposes. So spot on. Thank you. <laughs> we're talking uh, high nutrients. Yes. As well. So mention the nutrients because one of the things that I saw about this plant is huge amounts of vitamin C. Yeah. So vitamin like, A and vitamin C. Like a lot of a lot of plants in this family. Um, in particular, I'm thinking tomatoes and especially um, chilies and capsicums. Very high in vitamin C. Also vitamin A and vitamin E. Um, they contain lots of really good minerals, potassium, iron. Great addition to your diet. Um, also, when things have that kind of tangy flavor, that's usually a really good sign as well, I find, that things are, you know, good for you instead of just pure sweet. Um, the other great thing, and this is what I love about it, very high in antioxidants, um, you know, in, in the same sort of realm as things like blueberries and such where, you know, really, really good anti-aging <laughs> food. Um, so, yeah, lots of really good health benefits from this very interesting and as far as I'm aware, not very difficult to grow plant. I don't think so. Mm. Um, so they can thrive in terms of where we can grow them, so subtropical, mild temperatures uh, and us. mild climates. <laughs> um, in terms of soil, we're going to be looking at well-drained soil. Uh, they're going to benefit from lots of water, regular watering, and with proper care, these, these guys can produce fruit within a couple of years, so maybe two or four years. I don't believe the actual tree itself has a super long lifespan, right? Um, in terms of fruiting trees, so sort of again, shorter perennial, sort of shorter perennial, maybe ten years or something along these lines. And and again, this is something that I was considering where we w- what's going to be the end life of this area and this particular yep. um, uh, raised bed is that maybe I don't want to have something that's in there. In 15 years, and yep. uh, so it's, it's, there's a potential to chop and drop it, as you mentioned before. Those sorts of things, definitely. Um, I guess one of the reasons I suppose you don't see these a lot um, around. Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, there's a lot of reasons. Obviously, they're just not very, very well known in, in cuisine here in Australia. Um, but they don't really have a long shelf life. They don't travel well. So definitely, if, you, if you're a big fan, it's probably something that's better off for you growing yourself because. Things that have a shorter shelf life um, that you can buy at the supermarket tend to get harvested a bit earlier mm. than you'd expect um, in order for them to keep a little bit longer and they don't have the full depth of flavour. So I'm thinking 
the one that always comes to mind for me is dragon fruit. Dragon fruit. Yeah, you, that's you, exactly what No I'm one thinking. has ever eaten a dragon fruit unless they've eaten one that's been grown by them or a friend or, you know, that you've you've literally picked fully ripe off of off of the cactus. So you're saying not comparable? Not comparable mm. at all. Dragon fruit from the shop tastes like nothing to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, but it's actually one of my favorite fruit. So it's one of those type. Um you should consume them within a week or two. Their skin is thin, so it's susceptible to damage. And they are sensitive to cold temperatures, um, which obviously means that you, you can't really store them for a long time. Um, think of it as a more extreme version of – and it also ruins their flavor, I find. So it's pretty similar to tomatoes. For the life of me, I, I know I've been guilty of this, but you know, you can't store your tomatoes in the fridge. It kills the flavor. It kills the flavor. Um, having this leave them on the counter. They'll last. <laughs> we were having the exact same at home. We were having yeah. a, a conversation. And just recently there's been a few conversations about tomatoes in the fridge or outside of the fridge. Yeah. And I was a f- uh, unless it's for really for storing. for, yeah. for And even then, once you've got the f- tomatoes out of the fridge, let them come back up to room temperature before eating them. Definitely. <laughs> Cold refrigerated tomatoes. <laughs> no good. And... <laughs> Yeah, tomatoes don't last long enough in my household that they would ever go off if they were on the counter, Uh, (laughs) you know. So good. good. Um, Yeah. Anyway, now we're getting into tomatoes, but tamarillos are very similar. So, you know, you want to eat them pretty quick and keep them out of the cold. Now, how do we eat tamarillos? We talked about eating them raw. So you just get your fresh fruit, um, chop it open, grab a spoon, Mm, probably not eating the actual skin itself, but Mm. just the flesh on the inside. Um, However, you can add them into salads. You can add them to your preparations for those more savoury things, jams, um, sauces, chutneys. That's how I've had them mostly. Pies, tarts, that sort of stuff. Mm. Great news about tamarillos. You only need one. (laughs) They are self-pollinating, which as we know, not all fruit trees are like that. Many varieties of stone fruit, of palms, apples and pears do need um, to be cross-pollinated. So really nice. Um, Yeah, obviously more is better in terms of pollination, but you can have just one and you'll be successful. Um, Another big one as well is temperature sensitivity. So uh, as we said, you know, they're sensitive to the cold, particularly to frost. Thankfully, that's not something we deal with in our area not so terribly. much. Um, but if you're a bit further up into the middle of Victoria, something to be aware of. Um, it can damage the foliage and the young fruit. Um, so just making sure that you put them in a location, um, that sort of warmer pocket microclimate of your garden, or even better, um, if you have a greenhouse or something of that to that effect, mm. good, pla- good place to grow them in there. And that's why I was thinking, Tamarillo, is this particular spot is getting north almost on a slight edge, but it's getting that perfect north line of sunlight all day. (laughs) Um, Now, the other option that I had thought of as well um, as a particular fruiting tree for this sort of environment was a persimmon tree. Oh, yum. Yep. Um, So, again, another... Mm, not super, super common fruit. Everybody's heard of persimmon, but how many times have we eaten it and, and enjoyed it? Um, the uh, Another option for a similar sort of location. Yeah, my parents, I think they have one. Mm-hmm. This is very classic. My dad just just plant, just throws out seeds and plants random things out in, in, the, uh, in the garden. And, um, yeah, they get gluts of persimmons. Mm. And um, 
Yeah, my mum's a big fan of them. Uh, but back to <laughs> Tamarillo. <laughs> uh, medicinal uses. Mm-hmm. So in traditional medicine, uh, various parts of the tree, including the leaves and the bark, have been used for their potential uh, medical properties and medicinal properties. Some cultures believe that the plants um, have anti-inflammatory and, uh, as we know, antioxidant effects, of course, but anti-inflammatory um, preparations. So if that's something that you're into, um, definitely do some research. But... Um, yeah, could be another another cool addition to a sort of medicinal herb type garden. Mm, mm. And then just the last one. So where we know that uh, that tamarillos are, are grown is in New Zealand. It's in Australia, um, also in Mediterranean areas, and I believe it's often used in uh, Indian cooking dishes as well for mm. different types of chutneys and things like that. So fascinating plant, and hopefully we've just enlightened and shed a little bit more knowledge about it. Definitely. Yeah. Get out there, plant them, um, particularly as autumn comes in, things start to cool down a little bit. Mm. Good time to plant fruit trees, um, certain fruit trees. So, yeah, have a look. Um, but anyway, that's a bit of a, a deep dive, a bit of a spotlight on on tamarillos or tamarillos. Um, what are some events coming up before we end the show? So, as a bit of a common one, is the, the Holmgren design at Meliodora. So, there's definitely tours that are happening this month at Meliodora and uh, Garden. And there's also permaculture design courses that are run quite frequently out there as well. Mm. So, I thought I'd give them a shout out. Do it. Go. You haven't been yet, have you? No, no. Do it. I'm waiting. It. I'm, I'm very much. <laughs> I know you. Your, your mind is just going to go <laughs> and explode <laughs> with the amount of awesome information that you will learn the photos that you will take and bring back, uh, it, will, it will really change the way you look at it's been something what can that, be done. Yeah, I must admit, it has been something that has been on the agenda but it's been kind of pushed to the side a little bit with mm. other priorities but very keen to get down there and check Absolutely. it out. Um, a little event that's happening, uh, well, not little, uh, a really great event that's happening um, uh, not this coming Saturday but the one after, the 10th of February between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. at Downs Community Farm in Seaford. Uh, There's a vision board workshop. So I'll read the blurb from it. Join us in this special place to reflect, connect, and that special place is, of course, Downs Community Farm, (laughs) to reflect, connect, and breathe in nature. This vision board workshop may be different to others you've done, and you'll be invited to consider your vision for the earth as well as your life. Catherine and Kathleen, uh, two of our uh, fellow committee members uh-huh. uh, and very experienced facilitators. They are awesome. Um, they'll create a safe and encouraging creative space for this session. Tea, herbal tea and plunger coffee is provided. Sign me up. Plunger coffee, I'm there. <laughs> uh, if you wish, stay on. We'll have a potluck lunch as well. So bring something to share. Um, all crockery and cutlery is is provided as well as a jazzy tablecloth <laughs> that has to be mentioned. Um, this this one, bookings are essential for this one. There's two types of tickets. Um, normal tickets are $20. Um, or if you'd like to be extra supportive of the farm and the volunteers that are bringing this to life, uh, you can pay $5 extra or $25, which will help to cover the cost of, of the ticketing system mm. and the admin behind it. Um, so, yeah, once again, that is a vision board workshop at Downs Community Farm, Saturday 10th of Feb from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Beautiful plug. Good shout out. Thank you. I think one thing that we're going to do 
consistently is really try to encourage people to come down to the downs and and activate that site. Yeah. We're we're welcoming um, contribution and and more people to get involved. So we'll we'll definitely highlight and promote different events as we have them absolutely uh, in the coming months. You can join the Mo Gang. That's that's you and me so far. Uh, the Moer Gang. <laughs> the yep. Moer Gang. <laughs> and John too. Um, you know. Uh, but yeah, come. Learn, learn about fruit trees from, you know, one of our members, Sam. Mm-hmm. Come have a cuppa and chat about the history of the site with Maureen. Like learn about, you know, classic nono style gardening from Rodney. You know, yep. there's a bit of everything. Learn hot compost from Robin. Um, lots of, of friendly faces and, and great information. So jump on down. Lovely. And on that note, let's wind it up. Yes. Let's thank you everybody for another excellent episode. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, listeners. My pleasure. We hope that you get out into the garden, you get experimenting, you share your successes. We'd love to hear from you. So shoot those uh, text messages and emails through uh, and we'll definitely have a read and and shout you out next episode as well. That's it. So as always, thanks for listening. Have fun in your gardens and happy planting. See you next time. Signing out. (laughs) Bye.